Hey, listeners, it's Charles Duhigg, and I wanted to ask a quick favor before we get into our show. As you probably know, lots of media companies are struggling right now, and Slate is no exception, unfortunately. So if you like what we do here at How To, I was hoping you might consider becoming a member of Slate Plus. Slate Plus is only $35 a year, and it allows you to listen to our show and all the other great Slate podcasts ad-free. And you'll ensure that the news and entertainment and comfort that Slate provides to you will still be there in the future after this pandemic finally ends. So please consider it. And thank you so much. Testing, 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 testing. Okay. So we're doing an episode about home offices. And one thing I wanted to ask you about, because we both have a home office right now, right? Yeah. Mine is in my room right now. I sit on Zoom calls. With your school? Yeah. What would your perfect home office look like? Mm, I'd say um, soundproof walls, so like those spiky pads. Uh-huh. You want like somewhere that, that doesn't have a lot of distractions. I'd have the walls painted black, and I'd have like a um, purple velvet sofa. That'd be pretty cool. Okay, so I wanted to ask you about something. So yesterday, we had a little bit of an incident. Yeah. You got a little bit frustrated with the Wi-Fi, and... Some people in my Zoom call overheard loud noises. Was I saying bad words in a very loud voice? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and Alexa, stop. Alexa, stop. And so, okay, so on the Zoom call, your classmates could hear me yelling? Yeah. And what did they say? They, they laughed for a little while, and then Felicia, my teacher, was like, hey, are you okay, Ellie? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. My dad just, the Wi-Fi isn't working, so... <laughs> Does this sound familiar to you? Since New York stay-at-home orders were instituted last month, I have gotten a batch of new coworkers, including my 11-year-old son. And my office, at least for part of each day, is now my dining room table. And as you know, I am not alone. Tell me where you are you are calling me from right now. I'm calling you from my kitchen table. And is is that a big kitchen or a small kitchen? No, I I accidentally called it the dining room table today and my boyfriend started making fun of me immediately and he's like, <laughs> "Oh, you know, how we have an entire room just to eat in." <laughs> it's like <laughs> fair point. Meet Joanna, an audio producer who lives and now works in a Brooklyn apartment with her boyfriend Nick. I had a dream recently. I, I had a dream we had a roommate and that he moved out and there was a whole other room in our apartment. And I was like, when I woke up, I was like, oh my God, why don't we just use that room? And then I realized it was a dream and we definitely <laughs> just live in a one bedroom apartment, just the two of us. I I, th- I guess we're at that point in quarantine where we're having <laughs> dreams about about hidden rooms in our apartments. I miss my office so much. And how does that compare to... Um, to working from home, like, like, how does it compare to my kitchen table with a broken <laughs> leg? Um, I'm staring at our pile of cardboard that needs to get taken out. I think one of the challenges with the space and the, you know, is just sort of like boundaries. Like taking breaks is really hard because you feel sort of like 
joined at the hip with Slack for some reason yeah. in a way that I don't at the office. So so kind of these boundaries between work and life, both both psychological boundaries, right? Like if, I, if I'm in the same space all day long, how do I know when I'm working and when I'm relaxing? Right. But also like physical boundaries. Because we're used to being able to leave our home and leave the dishes in the sink and say like, I'm going to deal with that when I get home. Now I'm going to go be a professional. <laughs> and then when I come home, that's when I put on my like, you know, sweatpants and 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 get to like be a slovenly pig. That, right. <laughs> so when am I a slovenly pig and when am I a professional? I'm not sure. Right, because right now I feel like a slovenly professional. Today's episode is for all of you slovenly professionals who are desperately trying to turn your kitchen into a corner office or at least a desk that doesn't have dirty dishes all over it. it and let me start by saying, I know that a lot of us don't have the luxury of working from home right now, and that many of us have been laid off. So it's a privilege to even have this conversation. And later in the show, we'll answer a listener's question about how to find a job during this pandemic. But first, we want to help Joanna. And so we found a behavioral scientist who studies how to make workplaces better. He's staying at home right now, like the rest of us, and and he has some ideas on how to make a home office actually work. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Hosted by Katie Milkman, an award-winning behavioral scientist and author of the best-selling book, How to Change, Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Hear true stories from Nobel laureates, authors, athletes, and everyday people about why we do the things we do. Listen to Choiceology at schwab.com slash podcast or wherever you listen. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Ben Weber is obsessed with workplace design. He, he began researching organizational behavior at Harvard Business School, and then he went to MIT, and then he co-founded his own firm that helps companies improve their productivity by looking at all kinds of things, like where's the best spot for the water cooler? Several years ago, based on everything he had studied and learned, he wrote a book called People Analytics. At this point, we you know have data from you know every single employee in the world at some of the, the largest companies in the world, um, and we've had this for years now, exploring uh, sort of the, the social landscape both within our companies as well as outside our companies. Um, randomly, you know, chatting with people by the coffee machine, you know, forming relationships with people in other parts of the organization, going out for a walk. Those things are extremely important. In this one study, Ben discovered that small choices that you make in how you design your office can have a huge impact on how people do their work. It started when he was tracking the movements of workers inside this giant company that employed a a large number of software developers. 
a lot of people think is those folks as someone who you know sits in a corner drinking Mountain Dew and, and no one talks to them. Right? And I, I'm a former programmer. Um, I like Mountain Dew. It's a stereotype for a reason. Um, at the same time, it's an incredibly social job. Your code depends on the code of hundreds or, or thousands of other people. And if you don't communicate with them, that's where the bugs pop up. And when you zoomed in on that further, you saw something really weird. The, the teams that completed um, you know, their code sort of on time, they almost always, every single day, had lunch in groups of 12. And then you had the, the lower performing groups. It was almost always people were eating lunch in groups of four. Again, sometimes three, but it was almost always four. And it was really weird. And we were trying to figure out what's going on. Like, why? What's it, what's it about 12? Right? And so you went to the cafeteria at this company, and you quickly saw what the answer was. There were two sets of doors into the cafeteria. By one set of doors, all the tables were big and had 12 seats. By the other set of doors, all the tables were small and had four seats. And when you sit at one of those big tables, other people would sit next to you, and you're likely to talk to them. Those conversations, it turned out, were really useful. Because the more people you talk to at lunch, the more willing you are to reach out to them later on when you encounter a problem that they might be able to help with. You're talking about a roughly 10% difference in hard performance metrics, right? Just from sitting at that different table, right? Which is crazy. But it really demonstrates just how important even these, these small changes to our workplace are. Because... We as humans are so responsive to these slight changes um, just in the way our environment functions and that it really can shape our the way we work in, in subtle ways, but ones that make a really, really big impact um, on, again, the output of the entire group. So let me ask, Ben, so where, where are you um, calling us from right now? Well, I am calling you from my basement. Um, <laughs> so I, I, live, um, I live right outside of Boston, like 10 miles from the city. Um, and my wife is, as we speak, uh, she's on a conference call, and my two kids are in their rooms, hopefully not killing each other. Yeah, I, I know. And when you were doing your studies previously, was there a, was there a lot of data collected on like how working from your bedroom so that you can hear if your kids are killing each other, whether that that impacts productivity? <laughs> that, that was not and... one of our original uh, data fields. <laughs> we had collected a lot of data on working from home, but it was much more of a zero one thing. Like we can compare people who work from home or remotely uh, for people who work in the same office. And we could look at those sort of differences. But yeah, a lot less around the um, <laughs> trying to get your kids to, to get dressed so they don't show up on your Zoom call um, in underwear. Um, that, that doesn't happen as much. Ben says that the biggest issue with working from home is that all those casual connections that normally occur inside an office they become much harder when we're not bumping into other people in the break room anymore. If you think about what gets lost when you work from home, even for a single day, right? It, it's these informal interactions with, with other people at work, you know, in a cafe space in, in your office or maybe at Starbucks and you start chatting with someone else who you might not even know that well. You wouldn't think to send a meeting invite for lunch with that person. At Ben's own company, after everyone started working from home, they started randomly scheduling Zoom lunches between people to try and recreate all those informal conversations that would have normally just happened back at the office on their own. It's no big deal, but actually it's, it's really nice to get to talk to them. And the interaction across teams has increased since people went to work from home. But it's, again, these, these interactions that 
really, at the end of the day, drive not just our performance, but the performance of the entire organization, really our enjoyment of work. And, yeah, and we should probably and a lot spend more time happiness. on that. Yeah. So, Joanna, let me ask you, how does, a, how does a Zoom meeting compare to like a real life meeting? I mean, I prefer a real life meeting. The Zoom meetings, it is nice to see people's faces. And one thing that's kind of weird about the Zoom meeting is you do feel like you get to know people better because you're instantly like, oh, so-and-so has such a cool apartment. Like, what's that amazing piece of art behind her head? So it's kind of fun to get a glimpse of how people um, live and, like, to meet people's pets. If this was all over, like, conference calls, I I would lose my mind. Yeah. But what's, yeah. It, what it sounds like one of the things that Ben is saying is that is that oftentimes when we're at work, we have these, like, I think of them as, like, the meaningless time at the beginning and the ends of meetings or, like, the interstitial moments, right, where, like, you walk in and you're waiting for everyone to, like, sit down and get started and you ask Jim, like, what he did over the weekend or you ask Mary, like, you know, what's good, what she thought of that TV show. And that that's kind of how we get to know each other, right? Like, that's how we know each other beyond just the work that we do with folks. Yeah. So what Ben was saying really resonated with me. I, I I will just say, first of all, hearing him say all of this is very reassuring. Like a friend actually reached out to me and was like, I know how extroverted you are. How are you doing? Um, <laughs> and like as much as I wish like a dirty blender wasn't a foot away from my head right now, it's like what really is getting to me is sort of I really miss my people. My supervisor was like, why don't you start off every meeting and we'll just go around and say, how are you doing? And that first 10 minutes of every meeting actually has made such a huge difference in terms of me feeling connected to people. It really helps. Ben, let me ask you, what else do we know about the science of meetings that we should be thinking about, whether they're in-person meetings or whether it's these new remote meetings that we're doing all the time? What do we know about what makes that meeting both productive, but also makes it feel satisfying? Yeah, and there's a lot of a lot of challenges with those kind of meetings. I mean, in the sense that there's a lot of cues that we respond to in person that even over things like a Zoom call, just given that you know either you know our gaze isn't meeting. And that there's slight lags in the video, uh, very slight, but that that actually even affects the dynamics of those meetings. When people are remote, you tend to get much bigger disparities in things like speaking time um, and interruptions. This can this becomes more of a problem as meetings get larger as well, as well as when they're without video. So I actually lead a lot of the meetings for my work, and I have noticed that I'm just trying to be much more methodical about like calling people into the conversation and double checking on things and being like, oh, I actually had this idea, like. How does that sound to you? And I'm I, I'm having to be a lot more thoughtful as I'm leading my meetings in terms of making sure that like everyone gets time to speak. So here's our first rule. For remote meetings, which are pretty much all meetings now, you need to designate one person who's kind of like the conductor, right, to call on people and, and lead the meeting so that those awkward pauses that normally our body language helps us get over so that those don't happen in a Zoom meeting. And you should take time at the beginning of a meeting to ask everyone how they're doing and make a point of calling on people so they feel included. But then there's also this issue of how to use communication tools outside of meetings. Um, Joanna... You mentioned that uh, you sort of feel like you're a slave to Slack. Like, <laughs> tell me about that. What do, what do you mean? 
It's hard to explain because I know intellectually most things can wait like 20 minutes or something, but there's a certain urgency about being at home on Slack. It didn't feel that way when you were when you were actually in the no, office? No. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I honestly don't know. I think there, part of it is like this mindset of being like, oh, we're in emergency mode right now. This is an urgent situation. So everything starts to feel really urgent. I think it's also knowing, well, she's obviously home and she's obviously around. <laughs> so it sort of creates this pressure to be as available as possible. Yeah, I mean, it's something that we're seeing in the data in that, uh, again, the workday is extended. People are obviously spending more time on these digital tools as well. But if an organization cares about like its actual performance, then it really is incumbent on them to um, to be supportive and proactive in trying to help people step back um, and take breaks and, and not burn out. So this is the next rule. Just because you're stuck at home with nowhere to go, that does not mean that you have to be on the clock all the time. You should try to maintain basically normal working hours and, and tell your coworkers that you won't always be available to them to kind of reinforce that. And if you're a manager, you should signal to your employees that it's okay to put Slack on snooze every now and then. And when we come back, we'll talk about exactly how you can help people stay happy while they're working from home and what that might mean for how things change once the pandemic ends. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Defender. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Built for the modern explorer, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. And cargo capacity means more room for your gear. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. A vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Choiceology is a show all about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Each episode shares the latest research in behavioral science and dives into themes like, can we learn to make smarter decisions and the power of do-overs? The show is hosted by Katie Milkman. She's an award-winning behavioral scientist, professor at the Wharton School, and author of the best-selling book, How to Change. In each episode, Katie talks to authors, historians, athletes, Nobel laureates, and everyday people about why we make irrational choices and how we can make better ones to avoid costly mistakes. Listen and subscribe at schwab.com slash podcast, or find it wherever you listen. 
Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I wanted to recommend one of my favorite podcasts, which is Ted's Work Life with Adam Grant. If you're looking to explore the science of making work not suck, particularly in these trying times, then you should definitely check out Work Life with Adam Grant. This season, you'll learn how small wins can help you fight burnout and how you don't have to fight loneliness at work all alone. New episodes come out on Tuesdays, and you can download Work Life with Adam Grant wherever you get your podcasts. We're back with Joanna and our expert Ben Weber talking about working from home. And one of the things that Ben mentioned earlier is that When we're in an office, our days are usually divided into different parts that often take place in different places, like there's the conference room and the cafeteria. But now that we're at home all the time, we have to deliberately think about how to still make each part of the day feel different. It sounds like what you're saying is like at an office, it's easy to get different environments. But when we're at home and there's less space or there's more distractions like your kids, We need to schedule those different kinds of work time in advance and say, okay, when I need to be focused, I'm in the bedroom. And when I don't need to be focused, I'm going to be in the kitchen. And when I need to, like, just give myself a break, I'm going to go to the left side of the kitchen and watch (laughs) Netflix there. Joanna, does that make sense to you? Yeah, it is funny. Like, I, I will not work on the couch. The living room for me is completely, um, it's totally off limits during the day. And like, that's where I get to go and relax, which is, um, so that's, that's a boundary that I have made for myself. So I think different people are different. I think, you know, for some folks and like Joanna, it sounds like those boundaries are really necessary. And I think it's hard for like a lot of people feel like, okay, I, no, I need to, to just sit at my computer and keep working at this stuff. And that is much less important than this other stuff that we we traditionally think of as, oh, yeah, me chatting by the coffee machine with someone, that's that's me wasting my time. That's not really work. Or going for a walk, like that's not really work. But but no, actually that is. Like that is a core part of work today. Um, and it just isn't appreciated like that. Here's the next rule. Move around and find different spaces in your home that work best for different parts of the day. Even if it's just something like moving from one side of the couch to the other side of the couch, that can help you stay focused. It it breaks up the workday the same way that you used to break it up when you could leave the office to go get a coffee or to see friends. Also, and, and this is important, just because our social calendars are mostly bare right now, that does not mean that you should fall into the trap of working nonstop. So how, when we think about these like underappreciated benefits that come from chatting with coworkers or or from from giving ourselves time to to walk down and get a coffee on the corner and during that walk is when we actually have our good idea, but we're no longer going out for coffee because all the coffee places are closed. How do we replicate that? How do we get that at home? Well, this is one of the key the key challenges, and I think there's a lot of personal answers for this, but. 
what I would say is that scheduling that time for yourself, even during what is traditionally considered the workday, um, is a really good use of your time and one that is very defensible um, and, and should actually be encouraged, right? This idea that maybe for you it's, you know, I'm going to, you know, take a bath or a shower in the middle of the day just to clear my head and that that actually does it for you. I mean, I have... <laughs> I was like, do I bring this up on the podcast? I've been surprised. I am. It turns out that I am. A, I take a bath in the middle of the workday. <laughs> there we feels, go. There we go. It feels crazy. It does feel like a crazy thing. Like, it, I can't explain it. It's just funny. That's been something like normally by 3 p.m. I just like need something to feel like I'm hitting a refresh on the day or something. Um, but it does. It feels incredibly um like indulgent and silly, <laughs> but it helps. So I actually feel like relieved that Ben yeah. specifically said that because it makes me feel like less of a weirdo. Um, <laughs> what, what was the equivalent when you were at your office? What was the equivalent of taking a bath at three o'clock in the afternoon? Well, then I took my bath at two o'clock. <laughs> and that brings us to our next topic. What's going to happen when we go back to our offices eventually? People have been making fun of office design for years. Remember that old movie, Office Space? Hi, Milton. What's happening? Milton, we're going to need to go ahead and move you downstairs into storage B. We uh, have some new people coming in, and we need all the space we can get. But there's no space. So if you could just go ahead and pack up your stuff... And move it down there. But no, that would be terrific. I, I, I was okay. I could stay. It, excuse me. You, I, I believe you have my stapler. It. As you know, in the last decade or so, cubicles started getting replaced with these open office plans, which were basically just cubicles without walls, but with more people jammed into the same space. And once the pandemic ends, companies are going to have to decide how to reopen their offices when there's an airborne virus that might still be out there. I do know from talking to actually a lot of our customers who are heads of real estate at large companies, like there are going to be some significant near-term changes in terms of, at the very least, additional distance between people. Um, So if you thought of an open office previously where for some companies the goal was to cram more people um, into smaller space, uh, that's not safe anymore, Right. So you can't do that. And I do hope that it gets people to think more expansively about the types of office designs they could use rather than saying, hey, open offices are the trend and they're cool, so we should just do that. Um, And thinking a lot more critically around what really makes sense for different parts of the organization. Well, and that brings me to like the next big question that I was wondering about, which is, what are the lasting consequences of this? I do think that a lot of this artificial separation between our personal and work lives in terms of, you know, we're this slovenly person sitting around in our um, sweatpants at home, but then we, you know, we're in a suit and tie or whatever when we go into the office and that it's just this false dichotomy, right? That we are the same person, right? We're the same person and people can have, you know, multifaceted lives and that we, we try to hide those things from each other. So, Joanna, we had started the conversation and, and you reached out to us with questions about how to be more productive at home. And I think initially we were focused on kind of the physicality of the home. But a lot of our conversation has actually been about everything else, everything else about how we schedule our time and how we keep in touch with other people. And 
So what do you think you're going to do differently, like starting tomorrow? I mean, I think I need to set up like a little lunch date with people or even just like a 15 minute like friends check in. I've been saving all of my socializing for the after the work day. But, you know, as an extrovert, I'm somebody who gets energy from socializing with people. And having this conversation with Ben is actually really uh, validating the fact that like I need to interact with people to work my best. You know, I hate using the word self-care, but this is an incredibly strange time. And like, I just think it's so important to acknowledge that like we, we need to carve out some time to be human. Because again, it's, it's hard not to feel a little guilty. I mean, listen, for those of us who can work from home, we're really lucky for a number of reasons, right? So one is we, like, obviously we're, we're at less health risk than people who can't do that. Um, we also still have jobs, right? And, and a bunch of people don't, right? But that really shouldn't, shouldn't turn into guilt, right? That we do need to take care of ourselves. Um, but we also need to take care of our social groups at work, I miss them. It is funny though. I also am just like, am I going to dress badly permanently after this? <laughs> I haven't worn a real outfit in so long. <laughs> that I'm like, right now I always look like I'm about to do some heavy duty gardening. That's like what I would describe <laughs> as my aesthetic. Um, and so I, I just wonder if I'm ever not going to wear a flannel shirt again. <laughs> I, I, I hope we all get to go back to work and I hope we all get to look terrible and wear whatever we want, including sweatpants. There we go. Thank you to Joanna for publicly admitting that she takes midday baths. And thanks to Ben Weber for his super interesting suggestions. You should look for his book, People Analytics, and check out his company at humanize.com. That's humanize with a Y. And now for this week's quarantine Q&A. We heard from a listener who was recently laid off. My name is Rob from Chicago, and uh, my job was eliminated on March 4th. So my question is, what skills or industry should I be looking at in general? What should I be doing to get myself ready for a new career or new job once everything starts to get back to normal? Thanks. To give Rob a hand, we enlisted a career coach named Marianne Ruggiero. Despite the extraordinary situation, a global pandemic, there are some basic career management principles that will stay the same. An important one is this. Remember, people who know you will let you do something you've never done before, but people who don't, won't. Don't just think, though, about what you know. Think about who you know. Network with these people to see what, if anything, you might do to create value for them and their organization. Between now and the time you can compete for a job, you're right to be accountable for your time. Sharpen and grow your skills and knowledge in technology. If you know Excel, become an Excel ninja. If you're in brand marketing, learn Google Analytics. Take a free course in coding. Look for things that will help you deepen or expand your knowledge of all things digital. If you'd like to hear more career tips from Marianne, sign up for her newsletter at OptimaCareers.com. And keep sending us your questions and answers about how to live your best life under quarantine. You can always send us a note at HowToAtSlate.com or call and leave a voicemail at 646-495-4001. How-To's executive producer is Derek John. Rachel Allen is our production assistant, and Merritt Jacob is our engineer. 
Our theme music is by Hannes Brown. June Thomas is the senior managing producer of Slate Podcasts, and Gabriel Roth is Slate's editorial director for audio. Special thanks to Aja Saluja and Sung Park. I'm Charles Duhigg. On behalf of me and my children, thank you for giving me a chance to get away from the dining room table. Do you want me to come on your Zoom with your class today and tell everyone the, why I was yelling? Sure. <laughs> yeah, you want me to? Um, eh, you know what? Actually, never mind. <laughs> yeah.